You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. This afternoon, in the preaching, we focus on Lord's Day 19 of the Catechism. In connection with this part of our confession, we read first from the second book of Kings. Second Kings 6 from verse 8. Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, Will you not tell me which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? None of us, my lord, the king, said one of his officers. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Go, find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back, he is in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes so he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. As the enemy came down toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike these people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness, as Elisha had asked. Elisha told them, this is not the road, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will lead you to the man you are looking for. And he led them to Samaria. After they entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so they can see. Then the Lord opened their eyes and they looked. And there they were inside Samaria. When the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elisha, shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? Do not kill them, he answered. Would you kill men you have captured with your own sword or bow? Set food and water before them so that they may eat and drink and then go back to their master. So he prepared a great feast for them. And after they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away and they returned to their master. So the bands from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. We now go to the book of Daniel. We read from chapter 10. And we again we focus on how the Lord is protecting his people, especially through means of angels. Daniel 10 from verse 1, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel, who was called Belteshazzar. Its message was true and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips. And I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. On the 24th day of the first month, 
As I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up, and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of the finest gold around his waist. His body was like chrysolite, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice was like the sound of a multitude. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. The, the men with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. So I was left alone, gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale, and I was helpless. Then I heard him speaking, and as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. A hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I am about to speak to you, and stand up, for I have now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. Then he continued, Do not be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future, for the vision concerns a time yet to come. Finally, we go to Matthew 18 from verse 10. See that you do not look down on one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he is happier about that one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. This afternoon I preach to you the gospel as we confess it in Lord's Day 19 of our Catechism, why is it added and sits at the right hand of God? Christ ascended into heaven to manifest himself there as head of the church through whom the Father governs all things. How does the glory of Christ our head benefit us? First, by his Holy Spirit. He pours out heavenly gifts upon us, his members. Second, by his power, he defends and preserves us against all enemies. What comfort is it to you that Christ will come to judge the living and the dead? In all my sorrow and persecution, I lift up my head and eagerly await as judge from heaven the very same person who before has submitted himself to the judgment of God for my sake and has removed all the curse from me. He will cast all his and my enemies into everlasting condemnation. But he will take me and all his chosen ones to himself into heavenly joy and glory. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, according to a legend, 
according to a very old legend. An old Christian missionary was working among the Huns. And some of those Huns, unbelieving heathens, were determined to kill that missionary. Several times they organized an ambush. But every time the missionary seemed to have a bunch of friends with him. And so they could not get their hands on him. Later though, one of those heathens came to faith. And when he asked that missionary who it was, who those friends had been, who always went with him when he used to travel at night, the missionary had no answer. As far as he knew, he always used to travel alone. The conclusion was that God must have sent angels to protect him. And this is a very old story, brothers and sisters. It's more than a thousand years old. And you know what's amazing? All stories about angels are old. If somebody would tell a story today, if somebody would say today that an angel had come to them and done something for them, would you believe it? Or if somebody would tell just a story about something mysterious that had happened, if we could not understand how it might have happened, would we say, ah, it must have been an angel? The fact is, we don't talk about angels anymore. We don't think about angels anymore. It almost seems as if we don't believe in angels anymore at all. Actually, there are two reasons Two reasons why, at the beginning of the 21st century, Christians don't talk much about angels anymore. The first reason, the good reason why we don't talk much about angels, goes back to the Reformation, especially to John Calvin. Because the Roman Catholic Church used to worship saints, and they also worshipped angels. But John Calvin said, no way, we will not worship saints and we will not worship angels either. Instead, we will worship God alone. Jesus Christ is our only saviour. What do we need angels for now that God has given us his son? And so, when we read a story in the Bible about angels, if we check out to see what Calvin's commentaries have to say about it, we don't find very much at all, because at every opportunity... Calvin would say, we don't need saints, we don't need angels either, because Jesus Christ is our only saviour and he is a perfect saviour. That's one reason why we hardly ever talk about angels anymore. And a second reason, a not so good reason, why people today never talk about angels. That's because in the 19th century, the Christian faith was seriously attacked on many points by a new religion. And that new religion was science. Astronomy demonstrated that the size of the universe is infinite, so there is no room for a heaven anywhere up there. And the Big Bang has replaced belief in a creator. And besides... 
because nobody has ever found an angel in a science laboratory. Nobody has ever weighed an angel on a weighing scale or studied an angel in a test tube. Angels and demons, the whole spirit world, according to the scientists, they're all myths. They don't exist. But the fact is, beloved congregation, when we confess in Lord's Day 19 that Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of God and he is the head of the church and he defends and preserves us against all enemies, we must speak sometime about angels because with everything that the Lord Jesus Christ does, he always works through instruments. When the Lord brings us to faith, he could just snap his fingers and have us believe. But the Lord chooses to bring people to faith through the preaching of the gospel. The Lord uses instruments. The Lord rules over the church. And the Lord chooses to rule over the church through the elders. The Lord is pleased to use instruments for his purposes. And so... When the Lord Jesus Christ defends and preserves us against their enemies, he also uses instruments. Some of his instruments are angels. I preach to you this afternoon the gospel of your salvation under the following theme. Our Lord and Saviour reveals to us how he governs the world so that we might feel secure in his care. We pay attention to two points. Our Saviour uses angels to defend and preserve his church and our Saviour uses his church to govern the world. Our Lord and Saviour reveals to us how he governs the world so that we might feel secure in his care. We see first that our Saviour uses angels to defend and preserve his church. Now before the Reformation already, the Roman Catholic Church used to teach that everybody has their own guardian angel. And therefore we all need to honour our own guardian angel. So what do we think about that? Do you believe that you have your own guardian angel? Well, this is not exactly, it is not exactly what the Bible says. No, the Bible does not say that every person has his or her own guardian angel. But this certainly does not mean that we should scoff at this idea of guardian angels, brothers and sisters. It's not as if it's so far-fetched that we should throw it away. Instead, we just read together from Matthew 18. And in Matthew 18, the Lord speaks about little children... And then he refers to their angels. The Lord says, little children have their own angels. So clearly, there are angels that are specially connected to little children. And whether that means there is one angel for every little child, or whether that means there are some angels for little children, and other angels for teenagers, and still other angels for younger adults, and still other angels for pensioners. We don't know that. But obviously, Matthew 18 makes it clear 
that the Lord did set some angels apart. And he gave them special responsibility for little children. Hear that, girls and boys? Special angels for little children. And the Lord says that the angels of those little children always see the face of my Father in heaven. The angels for little children always see God's face. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, those angels for little children can see God's face. And you know how it goes in a large company. Not everybody can just walk into the general manager's office. Instead, the general manager, he is busy doing important things and a lot of smaller details. They can easily be taken care of by an assistant. Only important issues receive the personal attention of the general manager. And then Jesus says, the angels responsible for the little children, when something happens to those children, those angels don't have to make an appointment to see the general manager. Those angels don't even have to knock on the door door of his office. Instead, they always see the face of God. That means they can interrupt God at any moment to ask God, what is happening to this child? Or what should I do for that one? When it concerns the children, says Jesus, God is always available. God will always give their needs personal and immediate attention. God might be busy at an important meeting of the United Nations to prevent World War Three from happening. God might be busy in the science laboratories of NASA where they are trying to put a man on Mars. God might be busy directing an election in British Columbia or overseeing the preparations for a synod of the Canadian Reformed Churches. But, says Jesus in Matthew 18, nothing is more important, nothing is more urgent than the needs of the little ones, the little children in the church. And of course... If God cares so much for our little children, surely we should also make our children a high priority. And even more importantly, we can also be confident that our children are safe in his care. And just to go on with this, the idea that there are certain angels who do particular jobs Certain angels who take care of particular groups of people. That idea also appears in the Old Testament prophecies of Daniel. In Daniel 10, some Israelites have gone back from Persia to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. But King, sorry, but King Cyrus The king of the Persians, he is being difficult. He is making life impossible for the Jews. Why? How come? What's happening to the king? Well, the angel explains to Daniel that the prince of the Persian kingdom, 
has been resisting this angel for 21 days. This prince of the Persian kingdom is not King Cyrus. Instead, this prince is a demon. He is a fallen angel, an evil spirit in the service of Satan. In the court of King Cyrus, this evil spirit was in control. Under God's authority, of course, but still in control. That evil spirit, he worked through the king's advisors. That evil spirit could even work in the king's heart. That evil spirit was turning the heart of the king against the Israelites. The angel, this angel who spoke to Daniel, he has been fighting against that evil spirit for 21 days because that angel was responsible for protecting the Old Testament church. And finally, this angel fighting on behalf of the Old Testament church, finally, this angel needed the help of another angel. And together, those two angels overcame the prince of the Persian kingdom. And as soon as this battle of the angels was won, as soon as this battle of the angels was won, the heart of King Cyrus was turned and King Cyrus began to protect the Israelites. And so think about this, brothers and sisters. When there is human conflict, when there is conflict between the advisors of King Cyrus, these men, where one advisor is speaking to protect the Israelites, while another advisor is speaking harshly against the Israelites, where there is this human conflict going on, then there is also another battle going on, a spiritual battle. When there is conflict in the courtroom of King Cyrus, the devil is a roaring lion. And he seeks to destroy the church. Then evil spirits are stirring up rulers and kings. Evil spirits. They work through presidents and prime ministers to attack the church. But behold, the church of Jesus Christ confesses in Lord's Day 19. Jesus Christ is in heaven at the right hand of God from up there. Jesus Christ sends his angels into the world. He sends his angels into Parliament House in Ottawa. And there, his angels establish control over the heart and the mind of the Prime Minister. Through these angels, King Jesus directs the laws that are made in our parliaments. Through the angels, King Jesus is directing the outcome of every vote, also in the White House, where President Obama lives, also in the Security Council of the United Nations, even in the office of the Prime Minister of China. Jesus Christ sends his angels. These angels establish control. They decide what must happen and what may not happen. They make sure that everything happens exactly according to the will of King Jesus. And we need to understand why this is important for us, beloved congregation. 
We need to understand why it is important that we stop and think about these angels. Because when we read our newspapers, when we turn on our television, we can see that there is a battle being fought for the heart and the soul of our nation. A battle over abortion. A battle over gay marriage. Also a battle for freedom for us to believe and to teach and to act according to the word of God. But because this is a spiritual battle, it's not really a question of our opinion over against their opinion. Because this is a spiritual battle, we can never win this battle by convincing other people. No, this battle is being fought and must be decided on a higher plane, a spiritual plane. The angels of God must overcome the evil spirits. The angels of God must establish their authority and force our governments to do what King Jesus wants. And this means the most important contribution that we can make in this battle must be to fold our hands and close our eyes and to pray to our heavenly king. Pray in the spirit on all occasions, says Paul. Be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our enemies are not opinions in Victoria or in Ottawa, at least. Our enemies are not the politicians, not the people who run this country. Our enemies are spiritual enemies. Our enemies are the devil and all the angels that followed him in his rebellion against God. And the most effective way to oppose these enemies is to pray. And then the Bible does say much more about how the Lord uses angels to defend and preserve his church. Already in Genesis 28, a passage we didn't read, but in Genesis 28, when Isaac was an old man and had two sons, Jacob and Esau, after Jacob ran away and got married and had children, in Genesis 32, Jacob came back to the land of Canaan. As soon as Jacob reached the land of Canaan, Jacob was met by a host of angels. And then Jacob calls that place Mahanaim. Mahanaim, that means the camp of God. What Jacob is saying is this. When God gave Canaan to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob to live in, God set the borders of the land and God put his angels around the borders. God put his angels into border camps around Canaan to protect his people. Nobody could go in or go out without a security check from the heavenly security guards. And what about the story we read together from Second Kings. When Elisha was in the town of Dothan, 
When Elisha's servant saw the Syrian army and he was afraid, then God opened his eyes so that he could see the hills full of horses and chariots. He could see an army of angels all protecting Elisha. There were even more angels than Syrian soldiers. And then the miracle was not that those angels were there. No, those angels were always there. God's angels are always here. They always encamp around all those who fear him and exalt his name, as we will sing after the sermon in Psalm 34. The miracle is that God opens the eyes of Elisha's servant so that he can see all those angels that are protecting them. All these angels, they are with us in church this afternoon, brothers and sisters. All these angels will go with us when we drive home this evening. They will be with us in the night and in the coming week, also when we travel. The fact is, brothers and sisters, the fact is, Elisha did not have a personal guardian angel to protect him. I'll repeat that. Elisha did not have a personal guardian angel to protect him. Instead, the Lord God looked after Elisha much better than that. One guardian angel? That would never do. Instead, there were thousands and thousands of them. All protecting Elisha and his servant. Now, would King Jesus do less for you and for me? Then he did for Elisha. Surely not. Surely King Jesus would give to every one of his children the same protection today. And now, just one final comment about those angels, beloved congregation. In Luke 12, the Lord Jesus told his disciples that if they confess him before men, he will confess them before the angels. And if Jesus confesses the disciples before the angels, what does that mean? What are the angels going to do with that confession? Well, it means if we confess Jesus before men, if we dare to tell our neighbours that Jesus is our Lord and King Jesus sets the standards for our lives and for our behaviour, if we dare to openly do and say what King Jesus has commanded, regardless of what anybody else might say, then Jesus will mention our names before the angels. Jesus will say to the angels, See that young brother? See how he is not ashamed of me? Take special care of him. In that way, Jesus will confess you before the angels and that older sister, she dares to explain to her children and her grandchildren and she also dares to tell her neighbours why she has these standards of behaviour for her children. She confesses Jesus before men. And so, to use the words of Psalm 91, King Jesus will command his angels concerning her to guard her in all her ways. Then God's angels will lift her up on their hands so that she will not strike her foot against a stone. That's how carefully 
God looks after his children who confess his name. Then she will tread upon the lion and the cobra. She will trample the great lion and the serpent. Clearly, beloved congregation, clearly the promises of the gospel are not just for later. Not just about heaven, no. If we dare to be the sort of people that God wants us to be, the Lord Jesus Christ will give instructions to his angels to take special care of us, to guard and protect us, so that nobody is ever able to hurt us. Oh, brothers and sisters, before the Reformation, there were so many legends So many fanciful stories about saints and angels. John Calvin said, forget them. The saints and the angels are not important. Because we have Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Let's worship him. Not worry about anything else. Because if God is on our side, we don't need saints or angels. We don't need to worry about demons. Perhaps... Just perhaps we have followed John Calvin too far. Perhaps we have been too radical in dismissing angels and demons and not thinking enough about them, not talking enough about them because we see the world. We see the world as the enemy of the church so powerful, so vicious, so scary in the Bible. God tells us stories about angels to encourage us to trust him. He is almighty and with his host of angels, he does watch over us. He does protect us so that nobody can harm us. Praise be to God for his wonderful mercy. That is our first point. In our second point, we will now see that King Jesus also uses the church To govern the world. Answer 50 says that Christ ascended into heaven to manifest himself there as head of his church through whom the Father governs all things. And then it's true technically. The catechism does not say that God governs the world through the church. Instead, God governs the world through Christ, who is the head of the church. But what's the difference? Whether God governs the world through the church or through the head of the church, that makes no difference at all. If I ask you for your opinion, or if I ask your head for an opinion, of course the decision will be the same. And that's the point of the catechism. The body cannot do anything without the head. The head is nothing without the body. And when I say that Christ rules over the world and the church rules over the world, when I say that these statements are pretty much the same, you might raise your eyebrows. You might wonder whether it really is so simple. Are we governing? Are we ruling over the world? Well, in Ephesians 2, the apostle says that God has already raised us up with Christ 
God has already seated us with Christ in the heavenly realms. We, you and I, sitting here in church, we, says Paul, we are seated in the heavenly realms. And in Revelation 20, John saw all those people who had been killed in persecution. John saw them all reigning with Christ for a thousand years. And those thousand years, they are today, brothers and sisters, today in New Testament times, while we are waiting for Jesus to come back. Today, Christians who are living in this world, as well as Christians who have already died, today, together, children of God, we are reigning with Christ. To understand how this is possible, to understand how we can be seated on heavenly thrones and reigning with Christ, even while we are still living in this broken world and struggling against sin and temptation. To understand, think about a public company with a board of directors. The members of the board do not look only after their own interests, but instead they must protect all the shareholders. In fact, what they do, they do as representatives of the shareholders. And in the same way, says our catechism, Jesus Christ is our head. He is the chairman of the board of directors. And this board of directors is responsible for managing the heavens and the earth. All those other Christians who have already died, they are already in heaven. They can already attend the heavenly board meetings. So they are clearly reigning together with Christ. Well, you and I and every other Christian, even all those Christians who are being persecuted today, we are all shareholders. We all belong to the board of directors of the company that is ruling over the heavens and the earth. Oh, we cannot attend the board meetings yet. Excuse me, because our task on earth is not yet done. But a place on the board has already been reserved for you and for me. And for this reason, we really don't have to worry about what is happening in this world. We really don't have to be afraid of anyone or anything anymore because Jesus Christ is in heaven at the right hand of God. From up there, he rules over all things. He governs all things through the church and for the church. The church is the board of directors. Jesus Christ is the chairman of the board. This is one reason why we confess that today all Christians are already kings. And again, we go back to the Reformation and back to John Calvin for just one moment, brothers and sisters. Because the Roman Catholic Church before the Reformation also believed that Jesus Christ is ruling over the world together with those who were persecuted and those who died in the faith. And so, in the wisdom of the Roman Catholic Church, it made sense 
to pray to King Jesus and to pray to Saint Mary and to pray to Saint Peter and to pray to Saint Paul as well. Because together with Jesus Christ, they were all ruling over the world. And so couldn't they all help us? Couldn't they all make it work out right for us? They prayed to the saints. But again, the Roman Catholic Church lost its focus because the Bible teaches very clearly that there is one mediator between God and man and that is the man Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only mediator. Jesus alone speaks in our defence. And in Jesus Christ we have everything that we need for our salvation to pray to Paul or to Peter or to Mary That's not wrong because Peter and Paul and Mary have no authority. To pray to Peter or Paul or Mary is not wrong because they don't have authority. Instead, they have received authority. They are ruling together with Jesus Christ. But the point is, Jesus Christ is our only saviour. And King Jesus wants us to confess him as our only saviour. And for this reason, again, brothers and sisters, we can learn a lot from the history of the church. We can learn that the heart of the gospel is that our salvation is the work of God alone and the grace of God alone. The heart of the gospel is that God controls all things and we can trust him to lead us to eternal life. So to fear the world to fear our governments and what they might do, to fear what the future might bring. That's unbelief. Because King Jesus rules over all things. And then, on the one hand, to set our hopes on angels or to trust in saints, to expect good from any other creatures, that's foolishness. King Jesus is in control. He uses angels to govern the world. He uses angels to protect the church. He uses special angels to protect little children. King Jesus cares for us all. And he protects us with a mighty host of angels. So we do not have to fear our enemies. We are so well protected. In our second point we saw... King Jesus rules over the world as the head of the church. And when King Jesus rules as the head of the church, he does not exclude the body. Instead, like a business, has a board of directors and there is one executive director, one chairman of the board. So the church governs the world. Jesus Christ is the executive director. He is chairman of the board. He rules over all things for the well-being, for the benefit of the church. With such a king who loves us, as long as he continues to rule over all things for the good of his church, we can expect good things and we have nothing to fear. Indeed, we have nothing to fear as long as we hold on to our King Jesus Christ. May God, our Heavenly Father, 
bless us in this coming week. May we all be encouraged to trust him and to expect good from his fatherly hand alone. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.